Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back the day after the reason this podcast exists is the college football playoff. It's Doug and Shahan, and the ratings are out. Everyone knows this. Rankings, rankings, not ratings, because it's people, not computers. It is funny. You, you, there's this uh, BCS site. That, that does all the old stuff from the BCS Shahan and says like, hey, you know, here's what the BCS would be. And like a lot of times it's pretty much the same that like the old poll voters, poll voters plus computers winds up in the same thing. This is actually an example where there is a difference that Tennessee, number one for the committee, Tennessee would not be number one in the BCS system. I think they'd be number three and Georgia would be number one. You flip those two teams. Instead, we get Tennessee one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Clemson four, Michigan five. And I cannot believe there would be a single person listening to this podcast who would be getting that information for the first time. Oh, oh, there were oh, the rankings came out. So we know, you know, the rankings and we're going to discuss those right off the top. At the end of this podcast, we'll kick a team out of our playoff discussion. We'll decide if we should let a team in to our playoff discussion and we'll give you our rankings. And at the middle of this podcast, we're going to break down and make picks for the Georgia Tennessee game because boy, is that important. But we're going to start off with a little juice. This is where everybody is. Shahan, what are you most upset about in regards to the release of the initial college football playoff rankings for the 2022 college football. I'm see how I'm talking slow. I'm trying to calm you down <laughs> heading into the segment. College football season. Well, I have to give them credit. Every year, I think that I'm going to go in and not have very many opinions about what happens because I, I I don't care. It's no big deal, right? It's just a ranking. It, it's not the end of the world. It'll play itself out. And every single year, they find a way to make me matter. And <laughs> this year, for people who, who are subscribers of the Apple Podcast Show, uh, we had a conversation yesterday. And one of the things that you said was that you felt like the committee might not value Tennessee as much because they aren't a balanced team. They are such an offense-heavy team. And you feel like the committee is going to punish them for that. Well, uh I responded by saying, no, that argument is limited for just Big 12 and Pac-12 teams. That's not something that's taken seriously for an SEC team, I don't believe, because I don't think that that's how they'd approach it. Well, here's a quote from NC State Athletic Director Boo Corrigan, the chair of the, the playoff committee on ESPN yesterday. We're looking for a balanced team, offense and defense, and TCU has gotten behind in some games. They've been able to come back and win some games. But when you look at Alabama and the wins against Mississippi State at Arkansas, at Texas, and obviously the three-point loss at Tennessee as a committee, we decided to go Alabama number six and TCU number seven. So to be clear, Tennessee is the number one team in the country for being an offense-only team. And TCU is the number seven team in the country behind a team that has a loss and no top 20 victories because they're not balanced enough. Of course, that's the case. Of course, of course, it only affects one team. Only one team is unbalanced, not not other teams. That would be ridiculous if other teams were unbalanced that maybe they're evaluating as well. Uh, I, I was not optimistic that TCU was going to be number six in our rankings. But seeing TCU at seven and Clemson at four was just 
in, insane to me. I, I don't know how you view those two things as separate teams, right? Because Clemson has also played a number of close games. They haven't had to, other than the Syracuse game, they haven't had to come back as much as TCU has, but their wins also aren't as good. And on top of that, then you have a, a three spot gap between Ohio State and Michigan. Like, I, I think Ohio State's better than Michigan. You know, I think that their efficiency numbers would kind of reflect that. But to have three spots in between them when they have very similar resumes to this point, I, I, again, every year they manage to find a way to do this. And uh, and congratulations, committee. You've done it again. I, I, I would just like to point out that I, I thought you were going to be mad about one thing, and that was at least three. So it's it's good. It's good to get the anger out. So so I do think um, the balance discussion, it was funny to me how in the end, and I think I said it on the podcast, I think I, if you guys want to subscribe to the Apple podcast show for $2.99 a month, $2.99, $2.99, you get four bonus episodes, one every week. And we did, we didn't preview the rankings entirely. It wasn't the main thing. We did predictions for November that I think was really good, but it's, there is there's a brand bias with Alabama that has been part of the of the playoff since it started. And so it's hard to parse whether the TCU Alabama discussion is more about TCU or more, more about Alabama. But actually, I think it's a combination of like kind of the two main things that have permeated the playoff committee since the start, which is overrating Alabama. And most of the time. You can't overrate Alabama because you have to fairly rate Alabama because they're the best, because they're Alabama. But when they're not and when they have problems, they aren't as dinged as much as other teams. And that's combined with sort of dinging the Big 12 for being unbalanced in a way that you don't do it to everybody else. The ironic thing, the ironic thing about all of this is that everything you see about Tennessee, we know this, Tennessee is running an old Big 12 offense. This is the Mike Leach, Mike Leach air raid as adapted by Josh Heupel from Oklahoma, who now is doing it at Tennessee. And the Big 12 doesn't really play offense that way anymore. The Big 12 now is a league that has a lot of great defenses. TCU certainly is an offense first team, but they are somehow still applying the old version of Big 12 perception to TCU when really the team that actually matches that is Tennessee. Now, the, the thing that happens is that a lot of things are true at once. And what they basically said is they just didn't have the balanced conversation with Tennessee because they have two top 10 wins. So if you have two top 10 wins, they don't care if you're unbalanced. So the fact that LSU was 10th and Alabama was six, which is higher than we thought both those teams would be, you knew Tennessee was going to be number one, and then balance doesn't come up. But I do think in general... The way it's applied to TCU then is odd in a world where Bama practically lost to like the fifth best team (laughs) in the Big 12 and the best team in the Big 12 is ranked behind them when Bama actually does have a loss. So I do think that's a reasonable thing to be upset about. Let me ask you about one of the other things you mentioned, because as you know, people know my my roots are covering Ohio State football. I've done that since 2005. So there are more Ohio State uh, people who pay attention to this maybe than some other programs, just like there's a bunch of Baylor people and Big 12 people and people in Texas who pay attention because, you know, you're very famous there. Your, your, your tweet about Ohio State being two and Michigan being five, and they both have like wins, like they're kind of only good winners against Penn State, and Michigan was actually a little more dominant than Ohio State. 
raise some hackles among the Ohio State fan base. Is your primary discussion point there that you think Michigan should be higher in relation to Ohio State because you think they're kind of similar cases? Or what what is your primary um, point you are making with that observation? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing is I view Ohio State and Michigan as being in the same tier right now. I, I view all of them as top four teams. I think that they're in the same tier with Georgia and Tennessee as well. I think that that's, to me, the top four. I think there's a gap between everybody else. Again, I mentioned, I think Ohio State right now is better than Michigan. But it's it's funny. Like you said, we had this conversation. Uh, and obviously, again, I'm, I'm, I'm formed by this discussion back when it happened in 2014 and 15. You know, back in 2014, there was all this complaints that, well, you know, yet they're winning by these teams, TCU and Baylor are winning by a lot of points, but they're scoring a lot of points and they're allowing a lot of points. And does that really, you know, should that be a benefit? You know, with Michigan, we kind of have the opposite of that. We have the 2012 Alabama. We have the 20, you know, 2021 Georgia, uh, where, you know, a game is 29 to seven, but that game was a total suffocation, for example. Uh, and we're seeing them be dinged, whereas Ohio State is getting credit for winning by a lot of points because they have a dynamic offense. You know, so it, it's just this, it, it's just this, uh, this changing of the, the way that you view a team based on, and, and I think the, the frustration to me is that it is clearly kind of changing how you view the discussion based on just who you thought was good in the first place. Now, again, I think Ohio State is good. I think that their numbers would stack up with anybody else, but I don't know how you can, like one thing that people brought up was, oh, well, you know, but, but look at that Iowa Michigan score. That game, that game was never in doubt. It was 20 to zero. It was 27 to seven. And then Iowa scored a meaningless touchdown with six seconds left. Like, these games were all never in doubt. And, and honestly, the Penn State game for Ohio State was a lot more competitive. So like you look at the context, of course, like this is all part of it, but I, I just don't view them as being in a separate tier. Uh, you know, when we, uh, when I put out sort of my rankings and we'll get to them later, how, how will we do them for the committee? But like, you know, I have Ohio State two, I have Michigan four. I think that there is a little bit of a gap between them in terms of, I, I just think Ohio State's a slightly better team. But to have them behind Clemson at four. To have Michigan behind Clemson is really where the point takes hold for you. Yeah, that's where I have a huge issue because I don't view Clemson as being part of this discussion at all. They've played multiple competitive games against teams that really a top four team should not have been competitive against. And, you know, they haven't beaten a team in the top 20. I, I don't know what exactly Clemson has done. That is so much less impressive than Ohio State, because if you want to say that they've got whatever it is, three ranked wins, well, Ohio State doesn't have that. But, you know, you're giving credit to Ohio State for being better and having the best win uh, for beating Penn State. But then you're not giving that same credit to Michigan. It's just clearly two different standards. So I do think there there is a differentiator there that I do think I'll, I'll, I'll include that when we get to the thing that has the most impact um, in terms of the thing we agree with the most. Do you have any? Yeah, I, I do. I do. So let me say this. Let me say this. I'm old. And in 2014, again, this is why I think you and I are the right people maybe to do this show. We were in the guts of this thing from the jump. This is a person who's covered Ohio State and a person who went to and has covered Baylor. And that was the discussion 
the first time around in the college football playoff. So that first year when we were trying to figure stuff out and how they're going to do this and what the committee is going to value and how far you can move up and all those things, we were we were right there. Not that the whole world wasn't, but it was just like a it was like an hourly fixation for those two programs, Baylor and Ohio State in 2014. I'm kind of over it, which is which is probably not a great thing for a person who is a co-host of a of a college football playoff themed show to say. But I there is a part of we've had every argument. There is nothing left to say. We've figured them out, which is there's so much information you wind up picking in the moment what you decide to value, but there's 10 other things that might contradict your opinion and then you get a person on TV who tries to explain what 13 people think like it's one person and almost all the time it works itself out on the field anyway. The the whole like part of the 12 team playoff discussion there's what it does to the regular season, there's opening up opportunity, but there's also like ending this. Can we be done with this? part of it because the mental gymnastics that everybody does and then everybody comes in hot and everybody is on one hand saying it doesn't matter but also here's why I'm right and you're an idiot and it's like we're we're in the year nine of this and I do think there will be a time when we look back and say Remember what we were like? Everybody just like fought about that stuff. It's fun. I do think it's fun. And that's the other thing is like people say, oh, why do you care about it? It's because there's lots of silly things in the world that people care a lot about that don't matter at all. If we were a species that only cared about things that mattered, we'd either be like incredibly productive or incredibly boring or probably both. So like, so don't, don't apply your standard of like, don't talk about it because it doesn't matter to only the college football rankings because then just stop watching reality television. So I felt that Tuesday night kind of in the moment. And I, and I, and I was like, I, man, there's, this is like, cause it, it's great. Georgia, Tennessee is going to happen. Ohio state, Michigan is going to happen. There's a couple things that do matter. As we said, this is the second most important rankings, but man, I, it made me ready for the 12 team playoff just to have a different lens on the discussion. Right. Because it'll be interesting for seeding. We'll be really curious about, hey, that battle for the 9, 10, 11 spots for teams that might have two losses. But it'll change the discussion a little bit. And I think we're all kind of done with I don't know that there's a new version of the current discussion in year nine of this. So thanks for listening. That was the last podcast. This is it. We're just cutting (laughs) this one short at 15 minutes and we're folding up tents. But here's my point. The thing that I agree with the most, and even though it's, I still think it's not necessarily what I would have done and it may not reflect my rankings, which now that we have playoff rankings out at the end, I'm just going to try to think like a committee member. Whatever we were trying to think about before or not think about, it's like, well, now it's like we're, we're a committee of two, as we said before. Everybody. So the idea that nobody in the world has Tennessee number one, no group has Tennessee number one, right? But the group that matters does is a reminder that this group is better than a lot of the other incarnations of things we have tried to do in the past, because we have reached the point where it's like, yeah, the coaches poll and the AP poll. Well, you know, they're just still going to have Georgia or Alabama because they're, you know, whatever. We're not not, they're not going to have Tennessee number one. But then when it's like the committee and most people's predictions and it it wasn't mine. And I said, we said I realized I was going to be wrong. But you were right. A lot of people are like, oh, they're going to have Tennessee. And it's like, why are they going to have Tennessee? Why is the group that matters going to have Tennessee when no other groups have Tennessee? Well, because Tennessee actually deserves it. And that's where we are. We have to remember that. That with the playoff committee, we still 
nobody was surprised when Tennessee was number one. But then why isn't Tennessee number one anywhere else? Because we also have come to accept the fact that the coaches poll and the AP poll are a bunch of dunderheads who are caught up on reputation and the committee is less so. So that is worth a celebration. It is worth a reminder because if it was so obvious, then Tennessee would be an overwhelming number one in both polls. And they are certainly not. They're barely tied for second. In the AP poll, right? They had to beat Kentucky by 430 to get to move up the tide for second. So let's give those 13 people the credit they deserve for that, because we now accept it as the norm of like, oh, well, the smart people that actually consider everything that matters, they'll have Tennessee number one. But the poll voters, ah, Georgia won it last year. So, that, you know, we can't we can't stare the obvious in the face. And it looks like I have earrings in my, my <laughs> headphones. So here's the thing. I used to have these giant pink headphones that would wrap over my head and I broke them. So now I have these earbuds. I was wondering where they went. I broke them. They're not Apple, but they're a different brand and they fall out of my ear 30 times a podcast. I mean, you're constantly watching me like I'm catching it in one hand. I can barely hear. I are like, do things stick in, in your ear? I think my ears are misshapen. No, my my ears are fully misshapen, which is actually my headphones are like the clip on type. Uh, oh. they're, they're they're the Beats uh, Power Beats headphones or whatever. And so they have like a hook on them because, no, things do not stay in my ear whatsoever. I can't do, uh, you know, my wife has uh, has, has AirPods. She, she has like both generations. She just got the new ones. Neither of them stay in my ear. I need the clip on ones, uh, even even just sitting here. Okay, no, I need to hook them too. And the other thing that happened to me is I, when I started wearing these and all the time, because I broke the other headphones, I, my ears, the inside of my ears were like tingling 24 hours a day. And I was like, do I have a disease? What is happening? And I was like overstimulating the hairs in my ears because I was, everything was too loud all the time. <laughs> and it was like having an effect. And it felt like my ears were clogged all the time. And all the little hairs were like, turn down the volume, brother. Like, what are you doing to us? So I'm having a lot of trouble. But it also, it's it's an odd, it's a bit of an odd look for me. Some people can pull <laughs> off earrings. I've always wondered whether a 49-year-old middle-aged guy could just go get like earrings and pull it off. And I think, I think it's a pretty definitive no. Because also by, by the time my grandfather passed away, his earlobes stretched to his shoulders. And so my lobes, I know I have extended lobes in my future and I don't want droopy lobes probably with an earring in them. So I think that's just going to be a thing that I'm never going to experience because I'm I'm not sure this would be the look for me. What do you think? No, probably not. We can be honest. It's, it's, it's all about confidence. It's all about confidence. I, I got mine done. I, I didn't know how it was going to look and, and it looks pretty good. So you know what? It's all about confidence. You just got to you just got to get yourself out there. You just got listen. You uh, you're about to you know, your 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 kids are go, about to go off to college. You're going to, you know, act two. Doug uh, should be the, the Doug that has earrings. Okay, I'll do it. Fine, I'll do it. Actually, we'll put it to a poll of our uh, college football survivor show and should Doug get his ears pierced or not. Okay, so the thing, so credit, I don't want to overlook the first thing, which is they probably got the number one team right in a world where nobody else has. Yeah, no, and and that was exactly what I was going to say. I I am very pleased that Tennessee is number one. I think that fits right within the criteria they've laid out. I, I think that, 
you know, if it's supposed to be about your resume and who wins the actual games, I mean, Tennessee is that team. Tennessee has gone out and beaten teams. They've been dominant when doing it. You know, this past week, they beat a pretty good Kentucky team, 44 to 6. They obviously beat Alabama at home and and got key stops when they needed to. In uh, that LSU game, I think it's only going to continue to age better, though. I, I might have some thoughts about LSU that we might get to in a second. Uh, you know, but but for them to have, like you mentioned, two top 10 victories, nobody else really comes even that close to that. And I think that Tennessee, based on the criteria they've laid out, is the obvious number one team. And I'm glad that they kind of stuck to it. Uh, and, and at least in this case, didn't kind of get blinded by a brand. Now, t- Tennessee's a brand. They won a, they won a title not that long ago. You know, they're, they're one of the sort of traditional powers in college football too. But, uh, you know, I like that in Tennessee's case, they didn't wait and see. They said, look, you have the resume right now. We're not going to sit and wait uh, for you to have to go through and beat not just Alabama, but also Georgia before we take you seriously. I think they deserve to be taken seriously now. And by the way, this does set up a very interesting uh, game of the century type game because these teams are number one and two in the AP poll, uh, Georgia and uh, and Tennessee. But you also kind of get a one v one matchup with number one in the in the playoff rankings and number one in the AP poll, so that should be kind of fun. That actually, I bet you somebody will have that. How often have two teams who were separately ranked number one in different rankings that were acknowledged as being legit played each other in the regular season? Like, when how often would you've ever had a coaches versus AP regular season one v one? Oh, that's a very good point. That makes me want to investigate that. Or actually, it makes me want someone else to investigate that and then tweet about it so that I can talk about it on the show. So that's a really good point. When we talk about um, actual impact, right? So there's the thing that, that you know, get you fired up. There's the thing that you say, okay. And then there's the things like, again, the, the, the clues that we are looking for that Okay, this now things are going to happen. A lot's going to be decided on the field. But if they get down to a point where for the fourth spot, they are picking between teams with very similar resumes. We got a clue about which way they might lean or whatever, anything like that, because if it's not settled on the field, if if there's muddiness, what did you learn the most? What's the actual impact? That was the number one thing from the rankings released on Tuesday night. Yeah, for me. The most impactful thing that I learned is that LSU has a path to the college football playoff. Whoa, BK. They are ranked number 10 in the country right now. Despite having two losses, including a 40 to 13 loss to Tennessee, which is fine. And and their other loss was... Oh, oh my gosh, you guys, you guys remember that Florida State game at the beginning of the year? That was a crazy game. And, and like, you know, it, it wasn't that bad a loss. It's whatever. But... What? Well, it was it was an incredibly incompetent, both major powers, traditional powers, neither of whom wanted to win the game and couldn't figure out how to play football. So in that sense, it kind of was a bad loss. But it's like they have a loss to the number one team where they got blown off the field, which you can dismiss. And then they have just like there's almost a goofiness to that loss that seems like it is aiding them. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, and frankly, I, I think that that's fine, right? Like, I, I don't think that whatever analytic style, whatever that, that's that, uh, LSU is 27 points worse than Tennessee. Like I, I don't, you know, they're much worse. They're notably worse, but you know, that's, that's fair. If you want to view it that way, that's fair. And like the rest of their schedule is pretty good. You know, they beat Ole Miss by a lot uh, in their last game. They play Alabama this upcoming week, but what this sets up is that if LSU goes and beats Alabama this week, 
then they will be right on the edge of the top four. And it sets up that when the SEC championship game comes around, no matter who comes out of the East and no matter who comes out of the West, both will be favored to make the college football playoff. That that's kind of where we're at right now. That's going to be a that's going to be a guaranteed play in game for the playoff. That if LSU, if LSU loses the SEC championship game, they're not getting in with three. Yeah, yeah. If LSU wins that game, they're a lock. If if Georgia wins that game, they're a lock. If Tennessee wins that game, they're a lock. If Alabama wins that game, they're a lock. And it also, of course, sets up uh, a situation where I think that the second place team in the SEC East or Tennessee or Georgia, if they lose that game, still have a very good chance of getting in. So I guess the question is, so that had been the thing. We've never had a two-loss team in. And the question of a two-loss SEC champ is a very interesting discussion. And like, would the committee be capable of leaving out the SEC champion? It would have to be. I mean, the the scenario is like what happened in 2016 when Penn State was a two-loss Big Ten champ and the team that, that that it beat Ohio State and and then Penn State beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten, but it had two losses and Ohio State only had the one loss and Ohio State got in and Penn State didn't. So that's the scenario of would they ever do that to an SEC champ? They left out a two-loss Big Ten champ, but they didn't leave out the Big Ten. They just said, we're taking the non-champ instead of the champ. So the, the scenario would have been LSU beats Georgia or Tennessee in, in the SEC championship game. But somehow that loser still gets in ahead of LSU or it would be very complicated. I think probably I I would have if we had reached that point, even if LSU was 14 right now, if we had reached that point, I think I would have said, well, because you can't leave out the head to head part of it in the championship game. I don't it was easier to leave out Penn State and put in Ohio State because they did not play in the actual championship game to sort of have a championship game and then ignore it and say, well, you played the championship game, but we're still taking the team that lost over the team that won. I don't know if they, if it would be as easy to do that. I do think in the end, that scenario probably takes the fourth spot away from the Tennessee Georgia loser, right? That it's not going to be three sec teams, but I think in general, that's a interesting scenario that I think probably would have happened anyway, but your point is making us think about it now. And LSU being this high is making us thinking about it now. Plus, as you said, if they beat the teams they have to beat to get there, they're going to keep moving up the, the rankings anyway. Well, and I think, though, that that another part of this is, OK, let's say that Alabama was seven instead of six. Right. And TC was ahead of them like I think they should be. Uh, well, LSU and, and let's say that LSU, I think that they're at 15 in the AP right now. You know, if if they if the number 15 team beats a number seven team this weekend, that's nice. But then they play at Arkansas, UAB, at Texas A&M to close the year. That's not super exciting. So, like, they're probably heading into the SEC title game as, like, the number 10 team in the country, most likely. In that scenario, where they're sitting at 15 to start. Well, now they're sitting at 10. If they beat Alabama, they probably move up to like six. Like they probably find a way to jump in front of TCU too, because that's just the, you know, that's just life. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're right there on the edge as opposed to maybe getting into this discussion at the end if they do make the SEC championship game and find a way to win. So I, I think that it makes it a, a lock that if, if LSU wins out, they are in as a two-loss team. I think that they are absolutely 100% a lock if they win the SEC. Well said. I think I think that matters, and I think that's real. Well, my two things are, so I, I saw some people talk about it. I, I do not think that this is any indication that 
an undefeated TCU team would be left out of the playoff. I, I don't think that's what this is because TCU has four regular season games remaining. One of them is against a team that's ter- currently ranked against number 24, Texas. You know, that Baylor win will be a solid win if they do that. And then the the Big 12 championship game that TCU would play the next best team is going to be a very good team. And if it's Kansas state, Kansas state is number 13 in the rankings right now. So they're going to have like two more very good wins. And yes, seven right now is probably too low for TCU, but I do not think this sets up some kind of just because Alabama's ahead now that it really is some indication that we could be in a world where it's sec champ, ACC champ, big 10 champ, and then TCU is undefeated, but loses out to the second team in the SEC. I just don't think they would, because I think over time we've we've seen the committee do it, that you're one thing. And then when you win the conference championship, you're another thing. And that you just but they don't like acknowledge that until the crown's on your head. And so 13 and 0 and the crown's on your head changes the equation in that room and in that discussion. I think we've seen that time and time again. So I think to look at it now and over overdo what you think TCU behind Alabama means. I just, I don't think that's the right read on that, even though I think it's fair to be like, come on. But I think it's more a come on than like, oh no, in that Bama TCU head to head. Here's what I'll say though. Here's what I'll say. TCU being number seven at undefeated, whereas Bama six at one loss without really, I mean, what's their, what's their best win? It's Texas, I guess. Like that's that's probably what you're pointing to in a game where they played their backup quarterback, which, by the way, is the criticism people keep loving against TCU. So my issue is this. Typically, if you have a 12 and one conference champion, you are in a really good spot to get in. What this tells me with TCU being number seven is that TCU is 100 percent eliminated if they lose any games. 100%, not even consideration at that point. And you look at the rest of the Power Five conference championship contenders, none of the others are being treated that way. You know, so TCU right now is being treated with zero losses like they already have a loss, right? They're being treated like Oregon right now, which Oregon has a loss, which is fine. I mean, it was a, it was a loss to the number three team in the country, but they're being treated as if they already have a loss despite not having a loss. And let's say, Let's say hypothetically uh, that Baylor game, you know, revenge spot, rivalry game on the road, all that. Let's say they lose a really close game and then dominate Kansas State, dominate uh, Texas to close the year, finish 12 and one, have four ranked wins at that point, beat Kansas State twice, crushed Oklahoma State, all this stuff. I think that they're not even in the discussion at that point. They might not even be in the top six graphic at that point at 12 and one. They're being treated more like Cincinnati than they are like any other power conference team that they're usually compared to, despite having this many quality wins. All right. That's probably right. That's probably right. That's probably right. So like the thing I said, I think is also true. Like, ah, because I did see someone bring up to like, hey, that 13 and 0 might be left out. I said, no, it's not. Yeah. They're not getting left out of 13 and 0, most likely. They are on a you've got to win out path already. I think is I think I think I w- I think you could read that. Now the other the thing that's hard is they do consider like head to head matchups, and so this wouldn't be a head to head matchup. But they do also think about this. 
you have the Alabama Texas data point, and TCU has not yet played Texas. But if TCU blows Texas with Quinn Ewers off the field, that becomes, I think, a, that's a data point that they can compare TCU and Alabama directly. Except that's really not going to matter in the end because as everybody knows if Bama wins out, it's in. If Bama loses, it's not in. So, so there's not really there's not really uh, a poll discussion, a rankings discussion with Alabama because. If it's what if they're the one loss SEC champ, they might be the one seed. And if they lose to LSU this week, they probably aren't even making the SEC championship game. Or if they win out and get there and lose to Georgia and Tennessee and they have two losses now, they're they're going to be third in the pecking order of SEC teams to get in and they're not taking three SEC. So I think TCU eventually may win the head to head rankings battle with Alabama, which is kind of important. Except in the end, it's not going to matter because it's not going to be about rankings with Bama. It's going to be about whether they do it on the field or not. The other thing that I I did take away is they really did punish Michigan for the non-conference. And I do think there is a there is a difference here. And I think it probably is discussed in the committee room. There's a difference between scheduling a bunch of crappy teams and scheduling a good team that turns out not to be as good as you thought. And so I do think that's a that's a data point difference between Ohio State and Michigan. Even though Notre Dame's not as good as everyone expected, Notre Dame is still obviously better than, than anyone Michigan's played. But even it's, it's like not Ohio State's fault that Notre Dame had a quarterback injury, has a first-year head coach, had some goofy stuff, right? Whereas Michigan knew Hawaii, Colorado State, and UConn were going to stink. And so punishing, this is really a punishment. And they said it. This is what Boo Corrigan said multiple times. The non-conference schedule, honestly, is why Penn, Michigan is five. And so if you're looking for like a well, Ohio State, Michigan have some similar things. That's something they don't, that's not similar. And they also called Michigan's offense workmanlike. And Ohio State's explosive, which is like, so now do you just hate it if people run the ball? Like I don't, sometimes the things they say, it's like, why did you say it that way? Because I do think in the end, the, the thing the committee likes the best is a high-scoring offense, but a team that also plays at least some defense. That's their number one thing they love. So Ohio State has a chance to reflect that maybe better than anybody else. But the thing that hurt Michigan the most is not being workmanlike. Oh, well, you know, running the ball, is a, it's like a hard hat situation there. And the other one is more like a dynamite. Okay, we get it. The non-conference killed them. And so it's a reminder to everybody, hey, if you care about – you're in a battle with as a two-loss team to get into the 10 spot of the 12-team playoff. If you're trying for seeding, schedule better non-conference. I like that reminder because I think that came clear. That was loud. That was that was no doubt about that. Loud and clear from the committee of that's why you're five. That's why you're five. If they had played, and I know they had UCLA on the schedule and it got canceled. If they had if they had beaten UCLA, they they might be three. They'd definitely be four. But that's why they're five and Clemson's four. That's th- that's it. Their schedule was so bad, which we knew, but you didn't know how they'd take it into account. And they actually, they absolutely knocked Michigan down for that. Yeah, no. And I think that one of my things with all of this, too, is that the, I, I do feel like the explanations tend to make it worse. Right. Like, I think that almost there's I can't think of like one time that uh, that the the chairperson said something to explain why something was ranked the way that it was. And it made things better. It almost always makes it worse because if, for example, they had come out for TCU and said, look, this is a team that, you know, was losing games and then teams lost players to injuries and they played banged up versions of those teams. Like that's like a legitimate thing to say that that's a legitimate criticism that, that uh, TCU has played banged up teams and kind of caught teams at the right time. But like, 
to just kind of say, oh, well, you know, uh, like they're just one sided. By the way, Tennessee's our number one team in the nation. That's ridiculous, right? Like that that's a completely illogical way to look at this, you know, and, and same sort of deal with uh, with Michigan, right? I think that Bukorgan did, like you mentioned in the uh, in the call after the after the show, say, look, we feel like Michigan uh, has played a really weak strength of schedule and and clearly the non-conference schedule counted against them, which I'm glad it did because, it, you know, it, it was really bad. I mean, it was what three of the bottom. Actually, I, I will I will give credit to UConn. They might make a bowl game. But other than that, <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, you know, beat Boston College. Yeah, that's a uh, oof. Things are not going super well there for Jeff Halfley right now, but uh, but I think that I, I think that you know that's that's fine. But to to criticize their offense as workmanlike and to and and I'm I'm like the guy who I I probably don't take Michigan as seriously typically as I should. You know I think that there's probably more of a case that they belong in that top level discussion. But. I mean, to kind of dismiss them like that because they are dominant defensively and they hold on to the ball offensively and that's what they're trying to accomplish. And and by the way, I, I mean, one of the most impressive things that happened to me that benefits Michigan is seeing Penn State really make that Ohio State offense struggle because it shows me, oh, this is a really good defense. And Michigan made them look like nothing. They ran all over them. That's not that's not exactly true. The Michigan Penn State game was 16-14 at halftime. The Ohio State Penn State game was 16-14 at the end of three quarters. Michigan exploded in the middle of the third quarter with two 60-yard touchdown runs. Ohio State exploded in the middle of the fourth quarter with some big pass plays and a big touchdown run and some defensive plays. So Michigan Michigan put Penn State away a quarter earlier than Ohio State did. But I mean that's still that's a very competitive game at halftime. So I do think there has been there has been a thing of like Michigan ran all over them like yards per play Ohio State had more yards per play against Penn State than Michigan did. Um so I do think I do think that characterization is 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 not quite right. Both were games for a time and then got blown open. Yes to Michigan's credit they blew it open faster. But I think those two games are actually more similar than people realize. Sure, sure. No, but I, I think I think that for me, right, that means that Michigan, what they're doing offensively is in some way comparable to Ohio State is more what I mean. No. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like one's a great passing team. One's a great running team. And they're both dominant in those things they do. And then the other thing they do, the opposite is uh, OK and could be better. Ohio State running at Michigan throwing it. But Michigan running the ball is a force, man. Absolute force. Absolute force. And it shouldn't be downgraded compared to being an absolute force in the pass game. Why is that not as good? Right, right. No, and that's what I'm saying is I think that Michigan, I learned more about Michigan's offense from Penn State playing Ohio State than I did from Michigan playing Penn State. Because it told me, Oh my gosh, running for 418 yards. And like you said, there were some breakaway scores. And it was a competitive game. It wasn't 41 to 17 in real life, right? But but to run for 400 yards against that Penn State defense, finish with 563 yards, that tells me, oh, this Michigan offense is actually very good. I have less questions long-term about Michigan's defense than I do about Ohio State's defense. I think that Michigan's defense is a little better. And so if these things are comparable, that actually said a lot to me about what Michigan is. And I probably haven't been taking it seriously enough. No, I do think in the end that Michigan-Penn State game is more about Michigan and less about Penn State. And I do think maybe some of the initial reaction was like, ah, Penn State's not what we thought. They're kind of a fraud. It's like, I I was at that, I was at the Ohio State-Penn State game. Like, Penn State's pretty good. 
Like Penn State has skill guys, and I, I Penn State has a real secondary, and like they'll get after you. Like they're they're pretty stinking tough. So I, I came away with a lot of respect for Penn State, which then I do think then you go back and transitive. It's like man, that that is a, a lot of respect for the how how the way Michigan attacks it. Just like you have respect for how the Ohio State offense in the end worked it out and scored twenty eight points in nine minutes at to the end of at the end of the game. Because when Ohio State explodes, Ohio State explodes even against a really good defense. When Michigan grinds you down, Michigan grinds you down even against a really good defense. But the characterization again, as you said, it's and and this is the thing I said again. Year nine, we know this by now. The decisions are pretty good. There's always a couple things to quibble with. They get caught a little bit with a little being a little brand centric at times. They have some things they lean toward, but the decisions are pretty good. And then the way they talk about it is ridiculous (laughs) and shoots themselves in the foot and leads to all these podcast conversations. So and again, the the whole thing of like that we have and and it's credit to ESPN because they don't pull punches. It's like, hey, we're ESPN. We attempt to run college football. We created this television show so we can have rankings, so we can talk about it. We have access to the person who represents the committee. We have them on. They ask them very legitimate questions. I always think Reese Davis always covers the topics everybody's talking about. Bang, bang, bang. He gets right to the nut, does a really good job. And then that committee person leaves. And then they have a roundtable discussion where they rip everything and talk about how ridiculous it is and how nothing (laughs) makes sense. And they make it up as they go. And it is just like, it's farcical almost. It's like, I mean, it's, I guess it's no different than any other panel discussion about any other topic in the world that happens on, on television these days. But anyway, so it's where we are. And again, I will be kind of happy when like this version of the discussion is dead in the 12 team playoff. And then we'll have another version of the discussion. We can do that for 10 years and then get sick of that and then have a 36 team playoff. All right. When we come back, let's talk about on the field. Let's talk about the siding some stuff on the field, a Tennessee, Georgia breakdown next on the college football survivor show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. Game wrecker, game wrecker, game wrecker. What JT did against Penn State, like Ohio State had not really seen that kind of thing since Chase Young left. And so an individual performance like that, it's directly tied to J.J. McCarthy. Because one of the problems Ohio State had against like a slippery quarterback and Daquan Finn and Toledo early in the year was they were right there. They didn't get him down. And J.T. Tuimoloa was one of the guys who was right on the edge, be a half a foot away, and Finn would escape and be gone. Against Penn State, he didn't miss anything. He was everywhere. He was in passing lanes. He was beating offensive tackles. He was dominant. J.J. McCarthy is going to be doing some stuff in that game, and Ohio State needs defensive players who can wreck that. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. It's Doug and Shahan. Be a Twitter follower. CFB Survivor Show. I always retweet the most... uh, Outrage things that Shahan fires off immediately when things happen on a Saturday or happen on a Tuesday night. And he's like, okay, I got things for you people to hear. Uh, Plus, we have the votes and all those kind of things. So we'd love to have you as a follower there. You get to sort of help make the show. So Georgia, Tennessee started off um, as like a 12 point line. And it is a moving 12 and a half was the opening line. It has moved a ton towards Tennessee. It's down to eight and a half. Georgia is favored by eight and a half in this game, but like a four point move is a pretty big move. That, that's a huge move. 
Yeah. And so I th- I think people are really coming on. I don't know I, how much like specifically. I don't know how, how it's moved, but certainly the Nolan Smith injury for Georgia um, as one of the more dominating defensive players on a on a dominating defense is real. And he is out for the year with a pec injury. It's uh, really disappointing. He's a really good player, former number one recruit in the country. He's only 11th in snaps for them, but he is their highest graded defensive player for the year on PFF. He's just like a, he's like an edge guy that matters. And he's kind of, he's been one of these guys only played five snaps against Florida. He's been one of, because he got hurt. He's been one of these guys that like really um, came in super high profile, didn't like explode right off the bat and has stayed around and become like a really good player for them. So the thing that I think is interesting, and obviously this is mostly about the Georgia defense versus the Tennessee offense, Shahan, Georgia, as usual, is really deep, but Tennessee goes tempo and tries to keep you from substituting. So I do think the Nolan Smith injury, it's not enough on itself to make you change, I think, how you view the game, but I think it really matters. And Tennessee, I think, is going to take away a little bit of one of the things that Georgia does best, which is play a bunch of dudes, and especially on that defensive line. And I think think it's, it's it's not coincidental. It's like their plan is to make you not be able to sub and keep guys on the field and wear you down and attack you with RPOs. And by the way, Tennessee runs the ball a ton. They they do. They don't run it great. I think it's 4.6 yards per carry, but they absolutely run it. They don't just, they're not chucking it 70 times a game as much as they're an air raid team in a lot of ways. I, I think, I think Tennessee's offense like absolutely has a chance to put this Georgia defense in a bind. Absolutely has a chance to, to make Georgia look mortal when it's hard for, for offenses to make the Georgia defense look that way. I, I think that one factor that I'm going to be really curious about is can Tennessee hit some of those home run plays against Georgia? Because that's how they beat Alabama, right? I mean, Jalen Hyatt broke off a bunch of big plays. And, you know, this Georgia defense, I, I actually did some work. At, and by the way, check out a story that should be out by now at CBSSports.com. I kind of compare statistically this uh, 2022 Tennessee team to 2019 LSU. Not to say that there's good, that's not the point, but just to kind of see, see, hey, how are they doing it? What's happening here? How do they build their team? How do they structure their team? And one thing that surprised me when I went and looked at the numbers was Georgia actually has allowed some really lengthy pass plays. They've actually allowed six plays uh, through, uh, through the air of more than 40 yards, which is right in the middle of the pack in the country. That's not something I would have expected. So this has been a Georgia defense that has been susceptible at times. You know, you're playing some young guys back there. Keely Ringo, obviously a very talented cornerback, but still uh, a sophomore at this point. Malachi Starks, uh, a free safety who we talked about a little bit on the Tuesday show. Really, really good player, but a true freshman. So I think that that's going to be what this is about is can Tennessee get over the top of this defense? It's, you know, I I think that Tennessee will be able to compete against the front, but if Tennessee is trying to win short, they're going to lose the game. They're they're just going to straight up lose the game. They have to be explosive. They have to make Georgia chase because I think that also changes the script from a Georgia offense perspective as well. It means that they have to go down the field. It means they have to pass the ball maybe a little more downfield than they would like. Uh, you know, they've really been in their bag when they've been able to to keep things close, really involve Brock Bowers in the intermediate passing game. You know, Setson Bennett doesn't have a huge arm, but he's very accurate in the intermediate passing game. Uh, if they can get them out of rhythm, if they can force them to to have to strike just a little bit quicker, 
I think that's really the pathway to victory for Tennessee. You know, head, heading into this week, I probably didn't think that Tennessee was going to be able to compete. But after looking at some of the numbers, after looking at some of the ways that this stuff has been done, and I think the Nolan Smith injury is probably the cherry on top, I think Tennessee can absolutely win this game. You look at the back end, and again, as much as I was talking about Georgia substituting, four guys in the back end, Malachi Starks, who you had on the uh, the Apple show as your most important defensive player in November in the playoff race, true freshman uh, corners, played 400 snaps as a, as a first-year guy. He's played more than any Georgia defensive player. But Keely Ringo, Malachi Starks, Kamari Lassiter, and Chris Smith, and Chris Smith is playing as well as any safety in the country, they don't come off the field. So it's like those those four guys are out there every single snap, and they are going to be out there dealing with Brew McCoy and um, Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt. And Cedric Tillman was out for a little bit, and he is back from an ankle injury, and that is a huge deal for them. And when Tennessee puts those three guys on the field, it is going to be those three Tennessee receivers against the back end of the Georgia defense. They're going to have shots at big plays. And it I, this is one of those things. It could come down to a couple 50-50 balls, right? It could come down to, like, coverage is there, the ball's in the air, who makes a play two or three times. Because I do think this is going to be a super competitive game. Um, you know, it's, I think it's, it's a little lower scoring, right? Georgia wins. If it's if it's a shootout in the 50s, Tennessee's going to win. But it's, it's more complex than that. Because the other side of this is – Tennessee last week, like, kind of denied Will Levis, right? And so to hold Kentucky to six in that game, and Will Levis, I think, had under 100 passing yards. Is that right? In that Tennessee-Kentucky game? That, that I think, is is something. And so one of the things, and I think I forgot forgot to mention this in the the, among the thing the playoff committee chair says, there was definitely a, a, a phrase... I don't know if it was situ. Oh, it was timely defense that was referenced. I think in Tennessee because they rank so low compared to the other top teams defensively. You know, by EPA per game or per play, they're like in the 60s, where Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State and Alabama are all in the top 10. And they talked about timely defense, and it's like, okay, well, like, what are we doing now? Now it's like, well, you know, they had like an eight minute stretch there in the one game where they got a couple three and outs. It's like, okay, like how much are we going to parse this stuff? But the Tennessee pass defense is like the number one thing that you would say, I don't know about those guys. They're 103 in a EPA pass defense, 103 in the nation, which is awful. But doing that to Kentucky last week, like, are they are they changing? Like, are they better than we think? Like, are they? And and again, this is Stetson Bennett. It's not Bryce Young. And Stetson Bennett has been very, very good at times in his career, for sure. But if you get in a shootout, Hendon Hooker versus Stetson Bennett, maybe this Tennessee pass defense is just good enough to make it that Stetson Bennett won't be able to hang in a situation like that. So I don't know. It does seem like maybe the thing that Tennessee is worse at, the worst at, they're getting a little better at. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that that phrase, timely defense, while it's kind of funny, is probably right. Hold you me know? closer, timely defense. <laughs> uh I, I do think that there's some merit to that. You know, one of the things, again, make sure and check out this piece at cbsports.com. I, I spent way too long on it. Uh, you know, Tennessee's really good on third downs. They're, they're top 15 in the country on third downs. They get teams off the field when they need to. Uh, they, they, as a team, are plus eight in, uh, in turnovers, right? So, like, they've done the right things, typically. And... In those moments, they stepped up. And one of the things that you realize, and, and again, this this whole situation is so funny because this 
2022 Tennessee team is kind of just a 2014 or, or a, an SEC version of the 2014 Baylor team because they've run basically the same system. They're not even really an air raid team. They're more of a a Baylor offense team with the way that they run the ball. And uh, and defensively, you know, they're structured very similarly where it's about situational football. It's about getting teams off the field on third down. It's about getting stops in the red zone. And, and Tennessee's been pretty good at that. Uh, and and obviously one is given more credit than the other, but that's beside the point. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, I, I think that the biggest goal for this Tennessee defense is just to find a way to get the the ball back to the offense and let them cook, right? It, it's to create as many possessions as possible. It's to create as many opportunities as possible. And, and look, they're, I think, number 70 or something like that in, uh, in yardage defense. They're, they're never going to be good in yardage defense when they're defending this many plays, but you know, their their 5.2 yards per play uh, allowed is right in line with like Kentucky and Texas A&M, who we both consider to be very good defenses. So I think that their defense is good enough to accomplish what they want and need to accomplish. And Jalen McCullough, one of their good safeties, missed the Alabama game, had an off field issue that got sorted out. He's he's back. He played against Kentucky, played pretty well against Kentucky. The version of the the Tennessee secondary that got toasted by Bryce Young. They had some guys out that game. Now, some of those guys are still out, but they had some guys out. They'll, they're better than that. So if your baseline is like, man, I mean, they, you know, but also they're not playing Bryce Young. Yeah. Also, Bryce Young is very good. <laughs> also, Bryce Young. We like to talk about Bryce Young because, oh, mama, he can play some football. But so, so yes, I, I, we don't, Georgia is not capable of doing the same things offensively that Alabama can do. And also, I think Tennessee's in a better spot defensively than Tennessee was against Alabama. So I don't think that means that this game's going to be 50 to 49. So then you you get into that world. I just, the Hendon Hooker part of this is like, oh, duh. Hey, what's Doug's big point? The guy who might win the Heisman might win the game for them. He's just so dangerous. He is so dangerous. And as you said, they, they they really have modified this air raid. They throw to the tight end more. They have a lot of RPO stuff worked in there. You can see them d- just rip people apart with the RPO game. And then if you think you get pressure on him, he takes off and he will turn a five-yard sack into a 10-yard game. And that is exactly the kind of thing that wins games like this. It's like, well, there was that third and eight where we got pressure and we had two guys had hands on him and he got out and got a first down and that in the middle of the third quarter of a one score game those that's absolutely how these games are won and he is absolutely a player who was incredibly capable of doing that and again they had a stretch where they did not have Cedric Tillman arguably their best receiver now he's back they are going to they put just like Ohio State does they put three game breaking receivers on the field Every single snap and their quarterbacks also a game breaker. And I, I don't know if anybody can stop that. And I do think it's one of these things, Shahan, we are coming around on this. Ohio state's really good. I I think Ohio state is still the best team in the country. I completely understand, even though I might still have Ohio state number one for some various reasons, obviously the case that Tennessee makes is almost impeachable. when you look at the two best wins that they have, but I still think Ohio state, is the best team. But if Tennessee is not quite as bad defensively as you might be led to believe that they are, I still think Ohio State's defense is better than Tennessee's. But Hooker is so dangerous and is playing at such a high level. And when their receivers are healthy, 
I wonder, so right now, Tennessee is ranked number one. I don't know if many people would say they really are. If you were doing the neutral field play aliens argument, which I don't like in terms of rankings, but is a fair, I think, general football discussion. I don't know that many people would say, yeah, I'll take Tennessee, right? Go play the aliens. I'll take Tennessee. After Saturday, you might. Like, I think it's possible that the number one team in the country might actually show on Saturday that they're the number one team in the country, if you know what I mean by that. And that is not taking anything away from Ohio State, but I'm curious just exactly how dangerous this Tennessee offense looks. And, oh, you know what? The defense can hang. The defense can hang. So I think Tennessee is going to win. Like the line's moving towards them. I picked Tennessee against Alabama. I just think Hooker's that kind of guy. They're they're healthier on offense. They're, they've gotten some defensive guys back. And I just think you, this very much might wind up with like trying Stetson Bennett trying to hang with Hendon Hooker, and I don't think he can. And so I think it's maybe – I could see Tennessee even against this Georgia defense, which has been not vulnerable, but not quite as unstoppable as it was a year ago. I could see Tennessee getting into the high 30s or low 40s in this game. And then, and, and I don't, I don't exactly know if George is capable of doing that. So I'm probably somewhere like 41, 35 range. I'll say that 41, 35, Tennessee. What ultimately would be your pick or how you think this breaks down? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I know we've moved on from this a little bit, but, uh, you know, Hendon Hooker has run 44 times, 27 of them scrambles, and out of his 44 runs, 24 of them have gone for first downs. Oh, look at you at the research, Mr. Big Brain. That's really good. <laughs> Alabama In the Alabama game, uh, Hendon Hooker scrambled seven times, five first downs. That That's the difference, right? That is the difference. Stay on the field. Survive in advance against this Georgia defense. Don't take negative plays. That's what it's going to come down to. Uh, and look, I think Hendon Hooker's a very good quarterback. I'm not sitting here putting him in, you know, number two or three in the draft discussion like some people are doing. But he's a really good college quarterback who knows how to take advantage of situations. That's the biggest that's the biggest thing that I can say about this Tennessee team is that they have taken advantage of situations. I think that's what great teams do, especially, by the way. I, I mean, you know, one thing uh, again, check out my article on CBS Sports uh, You know, this is not a blue chip ratio team. They are the first team out of the 50 percent blue chip ratio. But the one thing that you do say about them is that they have a few transfers who were blue chips who don't factor into that. Uh, they've obviously stayed pretty healthy, which has been a good thing for them. And something that I don't think the blue chip ratio can really take into account is they have multiple sixth year players and fifth year players in terms of eligibility. And Hendon Hooker is one of those guys. He's playing a sixth year of college football right now. And it shows, right? We, we've been sitting here. I, I think I made this comparison before, but we've been sitting here wondering, Who's the Kenny Pickett of this season? Well, there's two guys. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson at UCLA is one of them. But Hendon Hooker is the other one. He has been that poised, balanced guy who looks like he's too old for college football at this point because he just gets it at a level that nobody else does, I think, at this point. Uh, He runs that offense at a very high level. And this, as much as as the, uh, the, the Alabama game was a Heisman moment, this one probably even more has to be his Heisman moment because I think that he needs to be the difference between those teams. So I, I think it's a little lower scoring. I, I think that it's something like 
38 to 27. So very competitive game. Tennessee gets some timely stops. Uh, sorry, sorry, play some, some timely defense, as, as they say, uh, over at North, uh, you know, over in Raleigh, I guess. Uh, and I, uh, I, I'm going to take Tennessee to win the game. It, you know, who like Hendon Hooker, I'm trying to think, like, uh, reminds me of a little bit that is also with very much in the football news right now. It's, it's like a little Geno Smith of a guy who's been around forever, can absolutely sling it, can make plays with his feet when you need it every now and then. And like is sort of like what your team is doing, what, because you're so good and we didn't realize it. And so like everybody loves that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'll, I'll give a uh, I'll give a, a comp that will only make sense to the like seven Baylor people listening to this. Uh, he's like supercharged Nick Florence. That that's what uh, people people outside of Baylor will have no idea who Nick Florence is. He started for one year in 2012 after RG3 and actually broke all of RG3's records because he was that productive. Uh, he's just like a football player, man. He just was an old guy who knew what to do and uh, and actually would have probably been the quarterback of the 2013 Big 12 championship team. And Baylor probably would have been better that year if he was there. Uh, but the old red shirt rule was in effect and he had to be thrown into a game because RG3 got a concussion once. So there you go. Nick Florence. Kind of ground the podcast to a halt right there with the Nick <laughs> Florence stuff. And I got to sadly, I had no idea what you thought. So he's a little bit to me, like Hendon Hooker is a little bit of like a supercharged Todd Beckman. See, now I can do it too. See, there I can, we go. I can Come on. I love it. I love it. How, how does he compare to Craig Krenzel? <laughs> I mean, he is just, he is a Steve Belisari if I ever said, right, we're just making stuff up. Now. So um, we're both picking Tennessee and we'll see how that goes. I, like, you know, also, hey, big moment on the road. George is like, we've been here before. We're good. Stetson Bennett's like, y what's that exactly? That guy who kind of like doesn't believe in me up in uh, Ohio. Like, here's like five passing touchdowns like obviously on the table but i i just do think i think there's a combination here of we had a conversation earlier this season about is georgia better than last year and then since then georgia has been like no we're not <laughs> better than last year <laughs> and we're actually maybe somewhat and i didn't make pick georgia to make the playoff because i thought somebody would jump up and get them now i didn't think they'd be playing the number one team in the playoff rankings in the middle of the regular season but you look at this i, I i'm curious you know georgia's still got kentucky georgia's got some stuff I'm, I'm curious to see how it shakes out so um we're both taking tennessee and maybe we just like the underdog story when we come back we'll do what we actually do on this podcast which is kick a team out decide if we should let a team in and give our rankings next on the college football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line So last week, Shahan, we had 10 teams in our rankings, and I didn't even ask the loyal Twitter followers who we should kick out this week because it's so obvious because Oklahoma State is done. They're out. They got destroyed. Like, I – did you see that coming? Just destroyed by Kansas State, and, like, that's it, Mike Gundy. We are done talking about you guys. I watched that whole game live front to back and I still can't really explain what happened. That That's just one of those games that just like a thing happened. You, you know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just, you watch the game. I'm like, 
man, I, I, I don't remember a single play from this game. I don't know what Kansas State did well. I don't know what Oklahoma State did badly. I just looked up and I was like, oh, I guess the game's over and it's 48 to zero. So, you know, Oklahoma State's pretty banged up. Uh, I thought that they might have the depth to be able to deal with it, but I, th- I think that the biggest thing that's, that's hurting them right now is that Spencer Sanders is dealing with a shoulder thing and is just not the same right now. And, uh, the backup, is a guy named Gunner Gundy who happens to be what? a walk on. Uh, yeah, I know. Are we talking I, about college football I, nepotism? Uh, that's crazy. Uh-oh. Who could have uh, future Oklahoma State offensive coordinator Gunner Gundy, correct? Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, the, you know, Mike probably isn't going to go out there and throw out his unprepared son at this point, but I guess that we, you know, we've seen that in college football before, so who knows? So they're done. Good run while it lasted. See you later, uh, Oklahoma State. So there wasn't even a discussion. I didn't even bother with the vote because there was. <laughs> it would be so obvious. I just yeah, would have been yeah. some snarky joke about who should be kicked out, Oklahoma State or Mike Gundy's old mullet or something. So it's the whatever. They're all out. Which brings us down to nine, which is Ohio State, Michigan, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, TCU, Oregon, and USC are the teams that remain in our discussion, which leads us to say, hey, should we let a team in? I gave four choices to the Twitter followers, all one-loss teams, because at this point, you, you make an interesting case for LSU, and maybe there will, if LSU beats Alabama, we'll have to have a discussion. Should should LSU re-enter the conversation? At the moment, it's sort of just like, well, if you have two losses, like... Yeah, I, I don't think they belong in now, to be clear. Th- we're not doing a ranking, yeah, we're doing like a playoff. Like, can you make the playoff? And so no matter how good you are and, oh, your your losses are reasonable. It's like, well, you have two losses. You're not going to make the playoff. Like, that's the world that we've lived in for eight years so far. So I did only one loss teams. The four that I asked about, Shahan, Old Miss, North Carolina, Illinois, and UCLA. I don't know if you saw the vote. If you did not, do you want to guess who you think won the vote of those four one loss teams? It's a good question. I don't think it's Ole Miss, nor do I think it should be. Uh, who's the second team again? Ole Miss. Uh, oh, North Carolina. North Carolina, Illinois, and UCLA. Hmm. Okay, I think it's between Illinois and UCLA. I'm going to lean Illinois. That is correct. 34.9% of the Twitter voters picked Illinois. 28.7% UCLA. 25.2% Old Miss, 11.3% North Carolina. Now, one of the things here is we have rules here, which is somebody has to be kicked out of the playoff discussion every week, and we only kick out one team at a time. So we kicked out UCLA a couple weeks ago because somebody had to be kicked out. Listen, I don't make the rules. Just ha- Actually, I do make the rules, so I could have just <laughs> rescinded that, And and but I just we're living by the rules. So UCLA got kicked out, and it's like, well, why would we be letting them back in right away? It's like, well, they absolutely have a path to the playoffs. Just like you said, one, like Tennessee or TCU probably can't lose and get in. I don't think it's impossible for a one loss Pac-12 champ to get in because you're just going to have enough of the Oregon, USC, Utah stuff that you're going to get some wins that the committee will pay attention to. So I do not think that one loss UCLA is out of it by any stretch. They have a regular season game with USC left. And then if they get in the Pac-12 championship game, that's it's a chance that that Pac-12 championship game might be like a top 10 matchup. So they absolutely deserve consideration, even though we just kicked them out. So people, why would you kick them out and put them back in? Because that's what we do here. Illinois is going to play 
Michigan in the second last game of the regular season. And they are a very similar matchup. Illinois' defense is ranked through the roof, number one in the country by some metrics. And they have one of the very best skilled players, one of the very best running backs in the country, and Chase Brown. And they're kind of just doing their thing. And you keep, I thought maybe Nebraska would have a chance to sort of be like, a, okay, like is maybe Illinois is not quite what we think. And then they Illinois just took care of business last week. They are an absolutely take care of business kind of team. So like if they beat Michigan, of course they're going to be in our playoff discussion because all of a sudden it's like if they beat Michigan, it's like, well, could they beat Ohio State and make the playoff as a 12-1 and Big Ten champ with a loss to Indiana? <laughs> so the question is, do we want to talk about Illinois or UCLA now on the path to that? Like, who do we who do we think is a more interesting team to deserve to be in the discussion because we think it's more real? And so I'm open to stuff. I'm I'm a little surprised that Illinois won the vote. I thought UCLA might win the vote, but where do you lean here personally, UCLA or Illinois? I honestly think that I'd be open to both of them. I I think that Illinois' path is probably just impossible because they have to play Michigan and probably Ohio State, which just does not feel like a real thing that could happen. And UCLA has to beat USC, and then they'll probably get Oregon in a rematch if they were to beat USC. So, like, that's manageable. That's that's real, I guess. So I think that I'd probably lean UCLA, but I think that their cases are honestly pretty similar in that they're probably not going to be that last team let in. We're open. We can go as high as 12 in our discussion. We're currently at nine. Should we put them both in? Is that reasonable enough? It's like, hey, the Twitter people, they were they were pretty close on it. 35% to 29%. You know what? Let's just put them both in. That would give us three Big Ten teams. That would give us um, three Pac-12 teams. We already have three SEC teams, and then we have one Big 12 team and one ACC team, and that's what the breakdown would be. And then, you know, stuff will shake itself out. Should we just do that? Put them both in. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. So we'll listen to the Twitter people who who – piqued our interest about Illinois, but also like, welcome back UCLA. We kind of fell a little bit bad kicking you out to begin with. So that brings us back to 11 teams, which leads us to our rankings. So again, I, I have a hard time sometimes with uh, what's the thing you call Ugh, memory. And I can't remember what I did last week. And so I'm going to give myself a break, but I also think like, there's the stuff that we do when it's like we're the committee of two. And then it's like, now here's the real committee. And now, okay, now I'm going to think like a committee member. So thinking like a committee member, who is your number one team this week? I have Tennessee number one. I think that their resume is unimpeachable at this point. They have two top 10 wins, though I do not consider LSU to be a real top 10 win. But uh, but I still think that even with LSU being more like the 15th best team in the country, those are two really good wins and deserve them a spot at number one. Okay, so I'm sticking with Ohio State because you and I have both been had Ohio State number one for the couple weeks in a row. And so I don't know what would have changed to get me off of that because I do believe that the Penn State experience for Ohio State is more good than bad. That like they worked it out. They they wound up winning by whatever it was, three, 44, 31. And that was kind of a backdoor 31 even though they were trailing when they took the field with nine and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, when it was winning time, they won against a team that I, again, I sort of gained respect for Penn State, watching them up close. So that's like 
Ohio State's best win. They just they're coming off their best win. And so I had them number one before. And I know Tennessee dominated Kentucky, but also this was like the best sort of version of Ohio State. So and I've been a resume voter in the past and I really have. But like committee member, there's there's a part of this that I don't want to make excuses for Ohio State, but Notre Dame, Wisconsin and Michigan State like used to be good and they all fell apart this year. But, you know, they kind of got Wisconsin before they fired the coach. They got Notre Dame when Notre Dame was at least healthy and they shut down what Notre Dame does best, even though they had to work it out there. They do have the best offense. Their defense is ranked pretty high. They're more balanced than Tennessee. And it's on the razor's edge, but I'm going to lean Ohio State and then I'll have the Tennessee-Georgia winner number one next week because then that to me changes the game. So I have... Ohio State one, Tennessee two. You have Tennessee one, Ohio State two. Yes. Who do you have three? I have Georgia three. So do I. And I don't know that that was the, you know, the, the committee said it's a three team discussion for number one. Georgia, I think, would have a case for number one. I don't think it's as strong as the other two cases, but you could make it. I'm sure there's probably somebody in that committee room who thinks they're number one because guess what? They're number one in both polls. Right. I mean, it's like, which again, everybody's like, oh, all the committee does it. The committee does not look at the polls because the polls are bad. So, like, again, <laughs> if you need proof, it's like nobody, Georgia's. Number three, and the polls have number one. All right, number four. Who do you have number four? I have Michigan four. So do I. Who do you have five? Clemson. So do I. Who do you have six? TCU. So do I. Who do you have seven? Alabama. So do I. Who do you have eight? Oregon. So do I. Who do you have nine? UCLA. Oh, UCLA ahead. Okay. I had USC. Who who do you have 10? I have USC 10. And then 11 is Illinois. So we're basically, yeah. we disagree at the top one, too. We disagree on 9, 10. Um, I think this, is this a reasonable, I feel a little bad for the Big 12, but the Big 12 did it, Kansas State did this. If Kansas State had not lost to Tulane, Kansas State would be in our discussion. So they're probably good. I, I don't want to do the same thing the committee did, which is like, look at the Big 12, be like, hey, you have a lot of good teams. <laughs> so... Your best team is seventh. Your undefeated best team is seventh. I don't want to look at the Big 12 and be like, hey, you have a lot of good teams. Only one team's in our playoff mix. But I'm not sure who else we're supposed to have in right now. We're not going to have Texas. We're not going to have Kansas State with two losses. Yeah, no, there, there's a <laughs> no, there's there's no other teams that can make the playoff from the Big 12. I said this heading into the year, actually, that, uh, you know, we were supposed to on our Big 12 preview, we were going to we were supposed to do bold predictions. And my bold prediction coming into the year, which I think is aging pretty well right now, though, you know, maybe we'd have to tweak the numbers a little bit, was that the Big 12 is not going to get a team into the playoff, but they would have three top 10 teams and none of them would be Texas or Oklahoma. My goodness, that is a very specifically bold prediction that might come true. Yeah, so I'll extend it out to top 15. I don't think that it's going to be top 10, but Kansas State. Oklahoma State, TCU right now, all very legitimate teams that are going to be in the top 15 discussion at the end of the year. None, I don't, I mean, I I still don't think, uh, because I I don't think that TCU can survive a loss, and I just don't think they can finish the year without a loss. It's just a very difficult schedule for them to finish. And also, by the way, um, you know, I'm not saying that the past determines the future, but Sonny Dykes is known for his incredibly fast starts to the year and incredibly slow finishes to the year during his time at SMU. That's not to say that they're going to lose multiple games or anything like that, but it's it's just going to be really hard, I think. So I don't think that the Big 12 ultimately gets a team to the playoff, and there's not another team that deserves to be in this discussion, even though I think that the Big 12 from 1 to 10 is probably the most competitive conference that we've seen in a little while. 
Ask him if he wants to be on the show. Sonny. <laughs> Sonny? I, yeah. Sonny would absolutely do this show. He is like the most uh, media-friendly coach in America. Yeah, let's ask him. This is, if, if TCU, let's, let's ask about like life in this, right? You're in a good conference, but you're trying to get respect, and maybe he'll go off about being ranked behind Bama. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sonny Dyke Show. Next Wednesday on the College Football Survivor <laughs> Show. Shahan's on it. All right. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Go read, Shahan, again, what's the headline on your story that you were referencing, this Georgia-Tennessee story that people should seek out? They can put it in the Google machine, and it'll pop right up. Yeah, I I didn't know what to headline it, so they're good. I, I put in a very, like, here's the LSU versus Tennessee comparison. So maybe just maybe just look up uh, LSU-Tennessee comparison CBS. <laughs> my, my mother was uh, texting me and my sister last night from her tablet and she texted thanks again y'all and she's from Pennsylvania <laughs> and she actually is like her family's like Pennsylvania Dutch which is like oh, wait, like borderline what? Amish they definitely don't say y'all wait 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 so you have Pennsylvania Dutch heritage yeah no yeah 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 I went to visit my mom for the Penn State game and we went to um we went to a farmer's market. It was absolutely spectacular. But there were like a, a, a like probably 50 Amish people like working the, the farmer's market. And I asked uh, one of the people, I asked them where the restroom was. And when they gave me, when they told me, they kind of had like a little bit of a German accent because they speak like Pennsylvania Dutch in the home. Yeah, no, uh, Dwight Schrute did a lot to bring uh, awareness of uh, of your heritage. No, for, for, for real. Thank you to Dwight. So, um, so my mom would definitely not say y'all. But then, so then the next thing she typed was, I am scared of my tablet. That she, like, the, the she was like, who typed that? Why did my tablet type y'all? So um, it can be a very, you know, the Google machine can be very dangerous. Be careful out there with your tablets and your cell phones and anything that stuff starts typing. So anyway. I, I, I did not realize that tablets were Southern. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Who knew? I mean, it's just an algorithm. I mean, you just put it in and it's like, yeah, I mean, like your tablet probably has a name. He or she has a background, a whole backstory came up there. My mom's tablet might be a Tennessee fan. So who do you know? I mean, how, how would we know? Your mom's tablet. <laughs> yeah, my mom's tablet is super excited about Georgia, Tennessee. My mom will be like, play Doug's podcast. And it'll just be like playing Tennessee, Georgia highlights and talking about the tablet. will want to talk about Stetson Bennett the whole time. So. Maybe we could have the tablet on as a guest. If we can't get Sonny Dykes, we'll have my mom's <laughs> tablet on to talk about the outcome of Georgia-Tennessee. So go watch that game. See if we're wrong. We'll come back next week and dissect that, what it tells us about the playoff. I do think we didn't really mention this. One of the other things we know for sure now is if Tennessee loses to Georgia and Michigan loses to Ohio State, if, it, if there is a battle for the four spot, Tennessee is going to beat out Michigan. Not that we didn't maybe anticipate that, but if you're trying to have like a two Big Ten versus two SEC, that gap between Tennessee and Michigan is pretty wide. If 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 it's not if if Tennessee and Michigan win and the, and the battles between Ohio State and Georgia for the four spot, then we're in for something, I think. Then it could get really interesting. But but if it's Tennessee, Michigan, we'll know that. So go read Shahan's story. Subscribe to um, this podcast wherever you listen to it so you don't miss an episode. If you want to be an Apple Podcast subscriber, you get four bonus episodes a month for three bucks. Kind of a good deal. And be a Twitter follower at CFB Survivor Show. Enjoy Tennessee, Georgia this weekend. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. <laughs> 